Hi, everyone. Welcome to Crime Family. This week, I'll be telling you about the tragic and infuriating case of a father's control over his family, specifically his two daughters. A father who wanted to dictate their every move, who planned to set them up with arranged marriages overseas, and whose alleged abuse led to a series of events that are both chilling and devastating. This is the story of the lives and deaths of Sarah and Amina Saeed. As I said in the intro, this is the case of Sarah and Amina Saeed. Uh, what do you guys know about this case, if if anything? I remember listening to another podcast episode about it, but that was a while ago. So I do kind of know like what happens and why it happens, but I kind of need a refresher on the details. I don't know anything about this case. The, the name doesn't sound familiar. Um, maybe when you get into it, I'll remember it. But as of right now, off the top of my head, I... No, I don't remember this case at all. So I'm interesting to to see what it's about. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy and sad and kind of frustrating in lots of different parts. So I'm just going to start with a little bit of like the family history, just so you kind of have an idea um, all of all the people involved. So Yasser Saeed was originally born in Egypt, and he was the oldest of five children. He had three younger brothers and a sister who was the youngest of the family. And he went to the United States originally on a student visa in 1983 and eventually settled in Texas. And I don't know the exact years of some of this stuff. Uh, it doesn't really get into that. But shortly after he went to Texas, he eventually ended up meeting Patricia Owens. And they began dating. And they eventually got married. But Patricia had actually dated Yasser's younger brother, Yassine, uh, before she started dating Yasser. And that didn't really work out. So she eventually got together with Yasser and they got married. Um, but at the time that they got married, he was 14 years older than her. He was 29 and she was only 15. Her parents eventually consented to the marriage after Yasser convinced them that he was quite well off, he would give her a good life, and that he would take care of her because, you know, they weren't, you know, super well off. Like, Patricia's family wasn't super well off, and they thought, like, he, I don't know, they liked him, and they thought that he could give her a good life and everything like that. So even though she was only 15, um, which is weird, they did consent to her marrying Yasser. And after the marriage, Yasser was able to get his green card, and he eventually went on to become a permanent resident and a U.S. citizen in 1997. And so Patricia actually says herself in an interview in the documentary called The Price of Honor that looking back on everything, she doesn't really think that it was really love at all, but it was more of a desperate attempt to leave her home life and her current financial situation. She wanted to start a new life with Yasser. Her family was quite poor and she just really wanted to get away from that and kind of start this new life with Yasser. However, things didn't really quite pan out as she had hoped. Uh, Patricia ended up working all of the time because he asked her didn't really want to work because initially he said that you know he would take care of her but kind of ended up being the other way around she was kind of becoming the breadwinner of the family and had to take on all these jobs he did have one job and that was like he would drive a taxi but other than that he didn't really have much of a work ethic and patricia was taking on the that huge responsibility of being the uh person making the money in the house and this began early on in the marriage so it was early on when she realized that it wasn't really going to be all that he had said it would be. Patricia says that Yasser had wanted to put distance between Patricia and the rest of her family uh, because he said they were Americans and he kind of saw them as lesser than. He didn't really like Americans all that much. They interviewed Jill Alpenalp, who is Sarah and Amina's great aunt, um, and she actually says in the documentary that Yasser saw Patricia's family as white trailer trash. So he 
like that kind of just gives you like what he thought of her and her family. So, but he obviously wanted to marry Patricia, so he thought highly of her, but not necessarily of her, the rest of her family. But soon after the marriage began, the abuse also began. So Yasser would constantly say that he regretted marrying an American. And oftentimes, like Patricia describes things like he would come home late from work. Uh, he would wake up. He would wake her up when she was sleeping and then purposely just make a total mess of the bedroom and then force her to clean it all up while he would watch. Um, and he, she said that he would often sometimes cut her with a knife if she wouldn't have sex with him. Um, and yes, she says that Yasser allegedly had several affairs throughout their marriage. So it wasn't a happy marriage at all. And there's also like photographs that they took where like he's holding a knife to her throat. Uh, ones where like he's, I'm curious, were these affairs, like, with other, were they, like, with other white American women, or were they, like, East Indian women? I'm feeling like he's, like, prejudiced or a little bit racist towards, like, white American people. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't actually go into that, like, who these other women were. Um, it's just Patricia says in one of the interviews that she had six affairs, but that's all that. She's, she says six affairs that she knows of. So Did he um, just marry her... To get a green card to become American citizen, it's possible. Um, it's never confirmed that that's a reason or I anything. Feel like but that I feel like just because his like just the way he's acting towards her and stuff, I feel like it was just like a way just to get his green card to become American citizen. And I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of a I mean sh- a shitty is- way to put it. But yeah, well, yeah, even saying he regrets marrying an American, like maybe he regrets marrying her, but why an American? Like, there's definitely that like you know prejudice happening there's some pictures where he would um like she would be dressed in a hijab and like holding guns and stuff like that so these are like random pictures that like he would make her pose for and then there's one where he's holding a knife to her throat Uh, so it's very weird um in the documentary like it's kind of strange because patricia actually kind of backtracks and she says those were just for fun like they weren't supposed to be taken seriously they were just kind of a thing that they wanted to do um so I don't know if she's just kind of in denial, but yeah, it's kind of a weird situation to say the least. Um, so the couple actually ended, went on to have three children. So the, their first child, Islam, was born when Patricia was just 16 years old. And then they had their first daughter, Amina, at when she was 17. And then their youngest daughter, Sarah, was born when Patricia was 18. So within three years, she had three children. Uh, when the kids were growing up, like it seemed like they had a typical... Uh, American upbringing they do um, there's multiple people that say that Yasser was very controlling parent and was a little bit concerned with them becoming more American um, because they were just you know they were growing up in Texas and they were just you know doing regular things that teenagers do don't live in America if you don't want your children to grow up American (laughs) I know it's very it's a very weird yeah it's like so many contradictions it's like he doesn't have to live there but He's choosing to live there and then hating that they're yeah, you becoming... can't hate that culture. If you like, even if he went there because he thought his kids would have a better life, you can't hate that culture for that, right? Like you just, I mean, yeah. I understand maybe you want to like preserve your own culture, but you can't mm-hmm. hate on the culture that you like ran to. Yeah, and like his three kids are now like American citizens. They were born in the states, so like they are Americans. So. If he hated America so much, he shouldn't have had three American children. But this family from the get-go, this guy seems like a shitty person. Oh yeah, it gets worse. Like what the um, fuck? Yeah, so, we don't even know what happened yet. And we're like, yeah. him. but yeah, it just seems like not cool. And Patricia, and like obviously he's not a good person based on the details. We'll get, I'll get into. But Patricia does say in the documentary too, like she's aware of back before he moved to the U.S., he had gotten angry at a coworker, and then when it's in his car, and then when the coworker was like coming out of work, he actually ran over the coworker three times, killing him, um, and actually killed him. And his father ended up paying a lot of money and got him out of that situation. So that kind of just shows you like he is already. So what the somebody. fuck is he? Was she with him then? I don't know, but. I don't know. Des- she is, but she's. I don't know. Um, he was well off, and she thought like he, she, he could give her a better life or whatever. But so, but I don't know if she like found out this out after that he had killed this person um, before he moved to America, or if it was like she knew that going in. I don't really know. But she does talk about that having happened allegedly. Um, so, yeah. So when the kids were growing up, and around the time that 
So Amina was older. She was nine at the time. Sarah was eight. And both Amina and Sarah told, ended up telling their grandmother that their father had been molesting them. So when this happened, they did tell their mother and Patricia immediately took them to the hospital to be examined. And then she also called CPS. She called the police. And then there was a full investigation that was going on. After the examination from the hospital, they said that there was no evidence that they had been sexually assaulted, but that it also couldn't be ruled out. And so the the girls were interviewed by, C, by the police and then by the CPS workers. And then eventually they recanted their story and said that they had made it up. They said that they the reasoning that they had made it up was that they wanted to live with their grandmother. They didn't want to live in the house that they were living in. So they made up that story to hopefully end up in the custody of the grandmother. Um, but then it came out that their parents had actually convinced the kids to back, uh, recant their stories. Um, in the documentary, they go into a little bit more detail of it. Connie, who is Patricia's sister, so it would be Sarah and Amina's aunt, she says that Amina had had written her a letter explaining the reasoning why she had recanted her story, saying that their parents had demanded it uh, so that Yasser wouldn't go to jail. Um, and that was why. And she, basically the letter was begging she was begging her aunt to not make them go back to the house um but eventually they did and connie kind of tells a story about how she believes that patricia found the letter because connie like hid it in her closet when she got it so that patricia wouldn't find it because they were living in the same house and uh she believes that patricia found it and took the letter and also took the kids back to live with their dad once again so they end up going back and it's really creepy. Like in the documentary uh, the, called The Price of Honor, they show like home videos and it's very creepy. Like he's, they're like laying in bed and he's like zooming in on their legs and like saying, ooh, nice legs. It's so creepy if you watch it. Uh, but then there's one where he like zooms in on her eye and he's like, oh, you have beautiful eyes. And then she's clearly uncomfortable and she's like, turn it off. This is, um, and in the moment they're like in bed, he's like, it's just so weird. And she's like, this is illegal. Like you can't film us while we're sleeping. And it's just, you know, it makes you kind of believe that that's a true story that the, that the girls had said, God, I hate this guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a horrible, horrible person. Uh, and it's just the beginning of it all, but yes. So everyone in the family believes that obviously the children were telling the truth and that they were being molested, but I guess their mother took their dad's side. She didn't want him to go to jail. So she ended up t- letting the kids go back to the house and living with him once again. So yeah, if you watch, (laughs) yeah. And if you watch the documentary, it's like, they have like the story about all of the allegations and then they show the home videos. It's like, well, it's easy to see that. Like, it's probably very truthful what they're saying just based on these home videos. It's fucking disgusting. The girls had always said to friends that their father was abusive, controlling, and that he had full intentions of going to Egypt and marrying them off to rich suitors in arranged marriages. So, uh, Amina, who was the older daughter, she eventually ended up meeting a boy named Joseph, and then they started secretly dating. Um, and she became really close with Joseph and Joseph's mother, Ruth, um, who's they're both like interviewed a lot in the documentary and stuff. So Ruth kind of became like a s- second mother to her, and this is where she's confiding in her about, you know, they would go into Egypt and some during the summer break from school and she told told Ruth the story about how the her father tried marrying her off to a 40 40 something year old man in Egypt and she refused the marriage and like didn't end up happening and then they're like so that's kind of a common thing and so they kind of always grew up knowing that that was going to be like the path that they would be forced to go into would be this like, like, like you're a, telling me a story of a movie yeah like a very like a very like weird movie because I can't picture this being actually real. I know we've we done crazy cases out there, but like, I can't. This, I don't know. This it sickens me. But that's not legal in America, right? Like, you can't force someone to marry somebody just because it's their like religion or their culture in America, right? Like, maybe if you move. Well, back, this was when they were in Egypt. Then okay. Like they would go to Egypt, and then he would meet this like 47, it's, 40 it's something le- year old it's man. It's legal in Egypt. I don't know, but. I don't know okay. if it's legal, but there's like a lot of in this case too that it's like I don't know if you watch the documentary like the other crime shows and stuff about it it's like I don't know I think a lot of times the media tries to perpetuate like stereotype like racial stereotypes of the like this culture I'd say like things about 
their honor killings and like all these arranged marriages. So like obviously there is some truth to that, but I do think that I don't know, try to decide of like how much of this is just this guy being a terrible person versus like kind of, you know, generalizing it and saying how, that How old was he when he when they got married? He was twenty nine. And she was what? Oh, she, she was fifteen. Fifteen. But like I and I just can't believe her parents let her. That's what I don't understand. Like they don't even like yeah, that's kind of unbelievable as well. Like, I'm like, she's 15 years old, and like, I don't understand like how like any 15 year old parent of a 15 year old be like, sure, go marry this 29 year old guy. Like, I have no problem with that. Like, what kind of fucking mother are you? Or parent are you? Like, like that they would even let her. And I'm also curious, like these kids, if they're Americans, maybe they're like split citizenship. I don't know. But if they're Americans, they can't be forced to go back to Egypt and get married if they don't want to. Right? Wouldn't that not be illegal? in America for them to be like shipped off to Egypt to get married yeah like I don't think that would be legal at all but I don't think this guy cares about anything legal like he literally ran over a man and got away with it so I guess yeah I'm just wondering if like the American like justice system would be behind them yeah yeah like I don't think but I think no one but if it's legal in Egypt if it's legal in Egypt if they are like dual citizenship are they I don't know. Even if they were well, yeah, yeah, but well, Egypt and America, if if it's legal in Egypt, could they go to Egypt to do that? Even if they don't want to, even though they're half American and it's legal in, in America, like that's, I feel like that's such a gray area. Off topic, yeah, but yeah. And like, well, like, in, and in the in the documentary, they show texts, like, because, like I said, Amina would become really close with her boyfriend's mother, and she would be texting her and saying, like, he can't like force me to go onto the plane. Like, is there any way she's like, I'm 17. Like, does the law protect me at all? Like there has to be something to like, he can't just like drag me on the plane and like force me to go to Egypt against my will. So I don't really know. It is kind of a gray area. Like, I don't yeah, really know. I, I feel like that would like, be illegal. Almost like kidnapping. Yeah. But like, and like, I, I believe just based on what, like just the vibe I'm getting, it's like, they knew what, full well like what the reason was for their going to egypt like it wasn't just for like a summer vacation in like their dad's homeland to like meet all of his family and stuff like that was the purpose of the trip and they knew that that was why they were going what an awful feeling just like knowing what's coming and like you have no control over it i know and let alone like and if that's that's not if, if that's not bad enough like he's also like molesting them and all this other like it's abusing them and abusing their mother um so he's just a terrible terrible person more than anything so like i said amina started dating joseph uh when she i don't know exactly the year how old she was when she started dating him but obviously this is something she was keeping very secret because she knew that if her father found out that she was dating this guy that it would be bad not only for her but also for joseph um so there was actually uh one time when she was writing like a love letter to joseph and her dad had actually found it and she made up the story saying that it was just an imaginary guy like she was just writing this letter to you know just as in a fake scenario um, but he didn't believe her and then he ended up taking things really drastically he decided to just up and pack up his family and move them to a town 30 miles away so they ended up going to Louisville, texas which is about 30 miles from where they were living in bedford texas and he was really adamant that he wanted to find out who Joseph was, where he lived and everything about him. Um, like I said, Amina had been keeping an email contact with Ruth, Joseph's mother, and she was telling her all this stuff about how uh, Yasser was beating her up and trying to find out all this information, basically like just beating her up until she would tell him where Joseph was. Um, she said that he had beaten her up so bad that he had like kicked her in the face so hard that her braces had like been indented into her teeth. Um, and then in the interview, Patricia says that Amina doesn't wear braces. So I don't know like if she's just making that up or whatever, but I don't really have any doubts that he was at least, you know, beating her up. Just like, I obviously buy that. I don't really know the braces part, but anyway, Ruth had never told Joseph all this stuff, like all the emails that she was, she was exchanging because she was just for her, for her son's own protection. Like she was convinced that like if Yasser found out or if Joseph knew that he might try to find them. And then if Yasser would ever find him, that he would kill him. So uh, she was just trying to keep everything secret or from Joseph just to kind of protect him. But anyway, so they ended up living in Louisville for a little bit. And then in December of 2007, this is when things had kind of all come to a head and they had just had it enough. And 
Patricia eventually took the girls and fled to Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, along with Amina's friend, Eddie, and Sarah's boyfriend, Eric. So the five of them had kind of left um, and they were trying to get away from Yasser. Um, and it says in the documentary that it was like the, the two girls were planning to run away with like these two guys. Um, but eventually, like Patricia ended up finding out about it or somehow ended up going with them. Uh, so it turned out to be all five of them going. But they ended up going to Tulsa and they destroyed their cell phones and they ended up buying new ones to avoid Yasser tracking them on their phones. Uh, Yasser filed a missing persons report for them. So he was, you know, determined to get them back, find out where they had gone, obviously trying to maintain that control over them. Um, so on December 28th, which was just a day, the next day after they left, they ended up leasing an apartment in Tulsa. And then Amina's friend, Eddie, had ended up returning to Texas on the 29th of December due to a previous commitment. So they are gone for just a couple of days, but Amina, because she's still in contact with uh, Ruth, is saying that Yasser is persistently trying to call them, trying to locate them, sending emails, all this stuff. And Amina notices that her mother's resolve is starting to weaken and she's starting to have second thoughts about running away from Yasser. So she had actually, it turns out that she had actually been communicating with Yasser and her resolve had completely disappeared. So she ended up making the choice to go back to Texas to be with Yasser. However, she went back to Texas under false pretenses. She didn't tell the girls why she was going back to Texas. The real reasoning, she ended up telling them that uh, New Year's Eve was the anniversary of her mother's death. So she wanted to go put flowers on her grave. She said that they're not going to go back home. They're going to stay with a friend. So she eventually convinced the girls to go back with her, knowing that, like, she obviously knew that she had to keep this from them. Um, so they were thought they weren't going to go anywhere near the house where their dad was staying. They were just going to go for the reasons that Patricia had said. So they do go back to Texas. And then once they were finally in Texas, Patricia told them that she was going back to Yasser. She was going back to the house. Um, Amina refused to go back. She ended up going back and staying with her friend Eddie, who was the friend that she ran away with. But she refused to go back to the house. Sarah did go back reluctantly with her mom back to the house. And Amina was just determined not to go back. So she was pretty um like pretty strict with that rule she says she's not going anywhere near the house she had always said to joseph and to ruth that she thought that her dad was going to kill her um and she thought that she would rather die than to go back to the house and there's also um some mention in the documentary that she might have uh tried to commit suicide because she was just going to take her life into her own hands because she was so afraid that her dad was eventually going to find her or somehow get to her in the next couple of days, Patricia is begging Amina to come home. She makes Sarah text Amina saying, please call mom. Um, she's like calling her incessantly, uh, calling her, texting her. She eventually shows up at the friend's house that Amina is staying at. And it's like pounding on the door and just like saying, please come home. Like, we're going to work this out. We have to come back and be a family again. And eventually Amina does go back. Um, she just can't take any more of like her mother begging her or whatever she is in communication with joseph at this time um and she does tell him that she's going back home to her father and she has to do what she has to do so that is what happens um, and then once they are back at home and this is now january 1st of 2008 so it's a brand new year and once they go back home they reunite with yasser and then he says that he you know because they're all reunited, he wants to take the girls out for dinner and he just wants to talk with them, make amends and everything like that. Patricia wanted to go with them, but he said no, he just wanted to have some alone time with his daughters. So he takes them in his cab because he was a taxi driver. So he does take them and he drives them to Irving, Texas. Um, and this is when things take a tragic turn and he ends up shooting both girls in the taxi outside of a hotel. Uh, he shoots Amina two times in the chest and then shoots Sarah nine times. And Sarah is able to call 911 while she, after the attack or during the attack. And I'm going to play a little bit of the 911 audio tape um, and then we'll come back and discuss it. Harvey, 911, what is your emergency? Oh, oh my God, Tommy, oh my God. What's going on, man? 
Okay, let me transfer you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get uh, fire department online, okay? Hold on one sec, okay? Department. Ma'am, are you still there? Ma'am, are you still there? All I've got is she's telling me she's dying. I'm getting. I've got a. Why are you still there, ma'am? Ma'am, what is your address? Ma'am. So, what do you guys think about the 911 tape? Like, you can obviously hear, like, the commotion and distress going on in the background. Like, it's very hard to hear but like there's definitely some screaming going on and you can like hear like obviously something terrible it just happened it's creepy yeah i think it's so different when like you hear those 911 tapes where we're trying to listen like oh is it genuine or they're trying to fake something but like this one you can hear like just like the genuine fear in her screaming and it's really like scary yeah it's like you get to just right out the beginning of the call she says my dad shot me and my sister and now i'm dying like it's so it's so creepy and sad to hear um and the in the documentary they do go into the 911 tape a lot and they talk about like it was actually a seven minute call in total um from the time that the call was first made until the time it ends but um there's obviously there's also some like they're kind of pointing out things that the dispatcher did wrong. Um, they have like shots of like the training manual and like all the stuff it says to do in there and basically how this person <laughs> didn't go by that. Um, he ends up, he says like he didn't hear or didn't understand what she was saying at the beginning where he said, my dad shot me. All he heard was that she's dying. So she heard, she, he missed that whole part about my dad shot me. Um, so all he knows is that she's dying, but doesn't know the context or the situation. Um, and then he puts her on hold for a while transfers her and then by the time that he gets like the fire department on the line she's like taking her last breaths in the phone call so why does so he like didn't dispatch anybody until like he just like forwarded her to the fire department yeah well in the 911 tape he says like i'm going to transfer you um and then the next part of the 911 tape is like um the fire department getting on the line but they are trying to locate the call and apparently in the documentary they talk about how it's like pinging off different towers they can't quite find the location and the call was made just after 7 30 p.m on january 1st um 7 i believe it was so and was he driving around while after he shot them no so they don't really know like i said they're like trying to find it. it's like ping but he parks in the hotel parking lot and shoots them and then just gets out of the car and walks away but in the 911 call you can hear like she says oh my god it's not over um you can hear a door opening as if he's like opening the door again trying to shoot her again there's no i don't think there's any gunshots in the 911 tape but, but she's why call the why get the fire department why not just dis- dispatch somebody I don't well, I think, well i think he was i don't know because you can hear in that call he says uh fire department is anyone still there fire department um and meanwhile they're like trying to locate and triangulate for whatever reason they're saying like the pings are coming from all these different places so they don't really know for sure where it's coming from he may have just been trying to get like a first responder on the line and that was like the first one he could like get a hold of to talk to this person like he maybe the 911 dispatcher was like panicking or maybe he was just like trying to get somebody else involved and that was like just the first one that was available yeah, because like, you, you can hear he's like stumbling over his words when she's like, I'm dying, that's what's going on. He's like, okay, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll transfer it. Like, he doesn't know what to do. Normally, you could have been like new on the job. Oh, say that again. I talk over you. I said, nobody, I said, normally you don't put somebody on hold and get somebody else on the phone. Normally, you just dispatch somebody right away. I'm assuming I don't like, I've never, I had never well, just, had called 911. Yeah, well, like, he just says, like, hold on. And then, like, there's silence. Like, he's like transferring her over. Um, which he does to the fire department. It's... Uh, I mean, maybe he did some things wrong, like he didn't hear what she said, but he still knew that she was dying. Like, I don't think he, he could have done anything differently that would have, like, made the outcome of this any different, right? No, and, like, yeah, maybe he didn't do everything exactly the way he should have, because 
I mean, the documentary is kind of calling him out. Like they show like shots of like the training manual saying like, you have to like keep them in conversation, like engage them, ask them simple questions, get all this information. And he like puts her on hold immediately and doesn't talk to her during. And like they said, like he misses that she says my my dad shot me and my sister. So we all he knows is that she's dying, but doesn't know any context about it. Yeah, when I was listening to it, it kind of made me feel like he was inexperienced. Maybe this was like his first real like emergency and just maybe he panicked or something. I don't know. That's just kind of what it sounds like. But it's not like he was like, oh, I can't hear you when hung up or something, right? Like, I don't think he did something super drastically wrong. Well, when I first heard the 911 call, I didn't hear her say my dad shot me at first until I like listened to it again. Yeah, same. So... Yeah. So, I mean, and it's also easier to say now when you're, like, listening to it over and over again. Like, it's so obvious, but obviously you don't know that. Yeah, you have someone telling phone. you this is what she said, and you're like, oh, yeah, I can hear that now. But, like, with, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. another chance when you're the 911 operator, so. Yeah. So, he ended up just, like, walking after he shot them. He just walked off, um, left the car parked in the hotel parking lot, um, and it's around 8.30 p.m., they police get another call uh, from somebody who's found the car and is saying i think it's just like a like a civilian i think it's just a random passerby who calls them and says there's a car parked here and there's two people inside who look like they're not moving one of them has blood coming from her ears they don't look like they're alive um so that's where they're able to dispatch someone to that location and then they find the car and they find the bodies of sarah and amina but yes there's nowhere to be found um, and then he ended up going on the run. He was a fugitive for many years. And he eventually ended up going on to be on the FBI's 10 most wanted list for many years. And I actually originally heard about this case like 10 years ago when I watched like an America's Most Wanted case about it or episode about it. Uh, so that's when I first heard about it. Um, and actually stuff that I didn't know was when I watched, watched the documentary. So they kind of call into question okay well, well, well before i get into that what do you guys think of patricia their mother like going back to yasser after they had left tulsa they thought they were finally getting away and she knew the girls didn't want to go back she went back under false pretenses basically tricked them into going back like what do you guys think i don't know i want to give her like the benefit of the doubt and saying like because she got married so young she was just like manipulated and she just felt like that was her only option and she was just I don't know like weak and didn't have like the sense of mind to know better that was just like what she knew and she was told to do that so she did it rather than just being like she didn't actually care that's what I want to think anyway yeah I'm kind of with Katie that I do want to give her the benefit of the doubt but I also think she kind of like put herself and her children in danger by going back there because he would He's already, like, frantically wanting them to come back. He's going to be angry, and you know that he's going to be angry when you get back. So I feel like they, she kind of put them in that situation, and it's, like... I don't want to blame her, but I feel like she should have just not went back. Like, she should have just tried to get out. And I know, like, a lot of... We see a lot of situations with domestic abuse. Like, it's hard for them just... It's hard for them to, like, leave, or hard for them to, like, like stay away type thing. So, like... I get that that's it's hard, but I feel like she kind of put herself in a bad situation and look what happened. Yeah, at the same time, I feel like that's kind of your role as the mother is to, like, protect your kids. So, like, you have to kind of step up and do what you need to do. And she just failed to do that for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, so Yasser ended up just disappearing and he ended up being on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. And he was a fugitive for many years. So you actually might be wondering. So there was another... Like Yasser and Patricia had another had a son, um, Islam, and you might be wondering like where he fits into all of this. So, at some point after the murders, um, and it was being deemed like an honor killing by the media and everything like that, um, saying that because he, the the girls had dishonored the family by dating American boys and they were kind of going against their traditional uh, Muslim values. So that's kind of what it was being deemed at as in the media and um one of the family members gail who was one of the aunts of amina and sarah gave an interview to a reporter talking about the honor killings um, and talking about amina and sarah and shortly after that interview went out and was released um islam ended up calling gail and left her a very very threatening 
voicemail. So I'm going to play that audio for you. It's a little hard to hear. Like, you have to hear it. Like, make sure you're listening closely to hear it because it's like staticky and not very good quality. But we're going to play that for you anyway. Um, and it kind of paints a picture as to who uh, Islam might be as a person, which isn't very lovely when you listen to the message. So anyway, here it is. So, um, it's kind of like, obviously you could see he's maybe on the side of his dad. If he's being angry, he being angry at his aunt for saying that it was an honor killing and, you know, disparaging the dad. So for him to actually call and make this, leave this voicemail, leads you to believe that he might be on the side of his dad and all of this. Do you guys have any opinions about that voicemail? Yeah, I'm kind of agreeing with you. I feel like he is on the side of his dad and. Um, he just feels really angry for no reason. Like, just, like, the words that he's saying, like, I don't know, I I don't know, I just find it really creepy in that, like, why would he be on his dad's side for one? I feel like he's gonna kind of have the same personality his dad has, which is unfortunately, unfortunate and creepy at the same time. Okay, so, just remind me again, like, what did his aunt say about his sisters? So she was just talking about the killings and talking about um, it was like an honor killing um, and explaining like why he why she believed that he had killed them saying like um, he said that they had dishonored the family name and were too American or whatever like basically all the stuff that was in the media saying that it was an honor killing and everything like that. Well to me it kind of sounds like it's the opposite that he's like he's trying to stand up for his sisters being like, don't talk to them like that. Like they didn't do what you're saying they did. Like they, it was, it's kind of like you're portraying them as they, you know, they did something bad maybe. And he's kind of being like, you didn't know them. So don't talk to them. uh, Don't talk about them like that kind of thing. That's what kind of seems like he's saying to me. And I don't know. I feel like he's just like mad about the whole situation, obviously, but yeah, like in the uh, the in the clip from that article um, that they highlight in the documentary, it says the girl's great aunt uh, G- Gail Gartrell says the girl's Egyptian-born father killed them both because he felt they disgraced the family by dating non-Muslims and acting too Western, and she called the girl's murders an honor killing from the start. Okay, because yeah, he starts off that message being like. Like, you didn't know my sisters or something, right? Or they didn't talk to you about anything. So it's like, you didn't really know them. So you don't talk, don't say that they did this kind of thing, right? So I think it kind of is like, he's embarrassed that they might have done this. But he's saying, like, you didn't know them. So don't say they did kind of thing. But, like, it could also be seen, too, as he's saying, like... He's, like, standing up she for was them. Trying to, yeah, but if you also look at it, it could be, like... Because she's saying, like... They were used to Western. They, it was an honor killing. He didn't like that they were like not following traditional values. And maybe he's saying like, no, don't say that. Maybe you saying like they were bad or like you don't know them or you didn't know anything about them. Like maybe defending like there was a reason why they had been killed. That's that, that's what I was kind of leaning towards what Adrian was saying. That's what I think of it. But yeah, yeah. It, it could kind of go both ways because to me, it kind of is like he wants to stand up for his sister saying like, and he's saying like it's disgraceful if you do say that they were too Western or something like that's disgraceful to their family. But he's saying like, don't say that about them because that's disgraceful. But 
standing up for them being like they weren't like that that kind of thing so i feel like he's kind of in the middle and fighting just like don't say shit about my family (laughs) yeah yeah like it's very odd and obviously a lot of expletives in there um sprinkled throughout there um but like in the documentary they do talk about saying he was very close with his sisters um they were all like the three of them were always very close so I mean, it would make sense if he was kind of defending them. But, like, she wasn't saying anything bad about them. Like, she was kind of taking their side. So why would he then fight her? Yeah, but I feel like he is kind of like his dad saying that if you're too westernized, then that's a bad thing, right? Like, so he's saying, like, on his dad's side, being like, no, they weren't too westernized. Like, don't say that about them kind of thing, right? So he's trying to, like, he's trying to stand up for everybody at the same time, I feel. Yeah, and... Yeah, and like he's a year older than them, so at the time that they were killed, because like she, I mean, it was eighteen, Sarah was seventeen, so he would have been nineteen. Um, so still like around the same age, um, but yeah, that's where kind of he fits in all this at that time. Um, and then he comes back into the story a little bit later, but um, they're actually something interesting from the documentary as well is they were sort of questioning what Patricia's involvement might have been if there was anything when they actually track patricia's cell phone records there is an odd number that calls her from beverly hills several times in the days before they ran away from yasser on december 27th Uh, patricia claims uh, her excuses for it when they question her about it in the documentary she claims that it may have been for when they were selling the puppies in preparation for leaving yasser so they said that they were you know they had put some ads up to sell the puppies um so she says that the buyer could have been from california and that could have been all the reason why all the, these numbers from beverly hills were on her phone and they actually tracked like the number and they said that the number belongs to a person named t ward and the documentary says that that is actually one of 19 aliases that has been used by a man named gregory patricia again says she doesn't know anyone by the name of gregory but you know, maybe he used an alias with her if he's using aliases. So maybe she knows this person, but not by that name. And when they traced that person, it led them to both San Jose and Sunnyvale, California. And these are two cities in which the Saeed family has ties. So they were just kind of questioning like the legitimacy of, was there someone that was like, she was in contact with potentially? Because these were like, before she left Yasser and leading up to like the day of the murder and also they did call it they did on her cell phone there is a call that she makes to yasser at 906 p.m on the day of the murders which would have been about an hour and a half after the murders happened she does call yasser that doesn't necessarily mean anything like if he wasn't home right away maybe she was calling him to see like where he was or something so they were kind of like trying to call into question maybe if she had some involvement in it Maybe she was, like, worried that something was going to happen, and she was just, like... Maybe that's why she wanted to go with them. Remember he said he was going to take them out to dinner? Maybe that's why she wanted to go with them, because she was afraid of what would happen if he went alone with them. Yeah. And... But then in the documentary, too, she does say, like, he was a good father. She didn't think that he would hurt the girls or something. She does say that. The same woman who... Doesn't sound like he's a good father. Everything you've said makes me point to, like, he's, like, the shittiest father... Yeah. I've almost ever heard of. (laughs) So she's, like in denial clearly like she just says that with like just being serious like no he was a good father i don't think he would ever hurt the girls so that's very odd for her that to come from her when knowing what she knows about what he's done or whatever so it's like she's almost defending him and is kind of in denial so i don't know but i don't know i want to believe that like if she knew he was going to do something like that that she would you know step up and do something right like i don't want to think that she would just kind of let it happen and claim innocence but like it's so sad that like they ran away from him and they were finally like maybe things were going to get better they had finally escaped him and they like gotten rid of their sim cards like they destroyed their cell phones and everything because they were trying to block off all communication and then she like you know backs down and kind of like starts taking his calls again and then that's when she makes the plan to go back to texas um and then she like lies to her daughters and says that they're going back because of this other thing which is not the real reason so like, obviously, her actions is not a good thing, knowing what we know now. Not saying that she knew that that was going to happen, but obviously, if she didn't take them back, it wouldn't have happened. So, the murders happened on January 1st of 2008. And then he, like I said, he went on the run. He was on the FBI's most wanted list. And there was like no leads or anything in the case until August 14th, 2017. 
And this was when a man matching Yasser's description was reportedly seen in an apartment that was being rented by Islam, Saeed, in Bedford, Texas. So there was a, a maintenance worker who was scheduled to do some work in the apartment. And he said that he went to the door um, and he had like tried to open the door so he couldn't get in. And he said there were people inside. They did agree eventually that he could come in and do the work. And he noticed Yasser or he recognized him. I guess he had seen him on like most wanted lists or something. So he did recognize him. So then he did immediately alert the FBI about it. Um, at 6.30 p.m. that night, an FBI agent went to the apartment and a man who matched Islam's description came to the door but refused to cooperate. Um, and then the FBI agent said that he also allegedly heard a call to someone saying, we have a problem. And the cell phone records show that the call was made to Islam's uncles. So very likely that was him calling his uncles to say like, the FBI is onto us, they know we're here. And so they obviously knew that they were, this was a, a good lead. They were onto something. So at around 1 a.m., the FBI came to the house and broke into the home and discovered that the apartment was abandoned. They, there was a sliding glass patio door that was open. And underneath the patio, there was a tree that had some broken branches, kind of like someone had jumped from the patio and landed onto the tree. And next to the, or underneath the tree there, there was a pair of eyeglasses that they took for evidence. And they kind of just scoured the apartment looking for DNA items. Uh, they collected items um, like cigarette butts and toothbrushes. And the DNA that they ran from those items matched some DNA that had been taken from Amina and Sarah. And it was determined that there was a high degree of probability that these items belonged to Sarah and Amina's biological father. So they knew that Yasser had been in that apartment. Um, and they knew that they were onto him, but he had escaped. And... He was on the run again and there was no sightings of him again after that um but however islam on august 26th of 2017 so this would have been just a couple of weeks after that islam was found at the canada u.s border as a passenger in a car and he had told the border patrol agents that they were just taking a road trip and for whatever reason like they didn't identify him they let him go um, so he was able to cross the border or whatever. So that was kind of the end of that. And that was in 2017. And there was no leads for three more years. Wait, they so he got away for that long? That's crazy that he got yes. through away with all that. Like he was one step ahead of everybody. Which yeah. always seems to be like the case with these kind of things. Yeah. And it's like, I know in the America's Most Wanted, the FBI was saying like, they believed he was in New York City. He was driving a cab in New York City because he could have been anywhere, right? If he had escaped, who knows where he could have been. But like all of this had happened in, um, it was in Bedford, Texas. So that was the hometown where they were living when the murders had happened. So like he had never actually left his hometown. Um, and I also read in like the, an article as well that the landlord, as part of their investigation, the landlord said that he apartment was rented by islam saeed who he knew had been like had connections to a fugitive but somehow we still let him rent the apartment and didn't say anything or do anything um so he was allowed to have one be one step ahead of everyone they should have gotten that warrant to go into the house a little earlier might have made a difference but however in august of 2020 so it's actually quite recently in justin texas so again this is like 30 miles from bedford texas so very close to where it all happened. The FBI began surveillance of a home that they believed to be owned by members of the Saeed family who had ties to Yasser. Shortly after they started the surveillance, they conducted a search warrant of the home and they arrested Yasser. They arrested Yasser's brother Yassin as well, as well as Yasser's son Islam. And they were arrested in Ulysses, Texas the same day as Yasser. So they weren't physically with him when they were arrested, uh, but close by. So Yasser is now charged with capital murder and because it's in Texas, he faces could face the death penalty. Um, obviously, he has two counts of capital murder. Um, Islam actually ended up pleading guilty to harboring a fugitive, conspiring to harbor a fugitive, and conspiracy to obstruct justice. And on April 27th of 2021, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison for these charges. And Yassin, who was um, Yasser's younger brother, was convicted on conspiracy and harboring a fugitive charges as well. His sentencing is scheduled for June 4th, so we don't really know yet what he, his sentence will be, but he's awaiting sentencing. He was convicted, like he was considered guilty, so he will have a sentence, whatever that is, but his son's going to jail for 10 years, and Yasser could get the death penalty. Oh, it's so frustrating when they don't find these people, so I'm so glad that like this latest update is like they found him. Like, I thought you were going to be like, oh, he's they escaped, and I was like, oh my fuck, but yeah, so... 
Yeah, that's what I was that I was gonna say. Like, this is just gonna have like one of those unsolved or uncaptured uh, stories. I know, and that's why when I like I watched the America's Most Wanted episode and all that. And like the Crime Watch Daily episode of it as well. Those are all done before he was captured. So like those are those are what I had originally seen. I thought he was still on the run. And it was only when I started researching this case for this episode then I saw the new updates. I'm like, oh, I can't believe he was actually found. Like, because I originally saw this case like ten years ago, and I had always kind of been like frequently would think about it. And the fact that he actually got captured, and he was like right under their nose. He was like thirty miles from where it all happened. Like it's not like he tried to flee the country, go back home to Egypt, or like even leave the state. Um, there were some family members as well that said that they don't believe he ever left Texas. So while they were still searching for him, they were like adamant that like, no, he has to be in Texas for whatever reason. They knew that he wouldn't go too far. Um, but the fact that his son was like helping him escape justice for killing his sisters. Like, it's crazy. That is crazy. Like, does Islam like support his father and what he did? Or is he just kind of like, he's my dad, so I'm going to help him, even though I don't agree with what he did? Does that ever come out? Yeah, it didn't really ever come out. Like, he pleaded guilty to everything, and he doesn't really... I couldn't really find information. I know Yassin, um, Yasser's younger brother, who was arrested, He, his lawyer was saying like that he didn't know the full extent of what Yasser had done, and obviously wouldn't have helped him had he known. But that's after he was arrested, so who knows? He's probably just saying anything he can right Yeah, now. I guess if you're willing to, like harbor a fugitive that you and you know their crime was really that bad then you have to kind of agree with them on some level if you don't like turn them in and they also do place a lot of blame on patricia as well because obviously she had a big part in this like with bringing them back to texas and stuff so it's hard with her because like seth was saying earlier like you know when there's domestic violence like it's hard it's easy to say like why don't you just leave but like obviously there's so many factors it's like so complex um but it's just like sad to think like the fact that they had finally gotten away and they thought like they were gonna have the life that they always thought they would and like amina was like so happy to be out of there sarah too so the fact that they ended up going back and they were only gone for like less than a week so it didn't last very long i also find it weird that islam didn't go with them so like he kind of was left there like maybe, like maybe he didn't have a reason to leave. Like he's probably treated. I guess he well. was older too, right? He might, he was he a might year not older. Lived, he might not have lived with them at the time too, though. So. But it's crazy that like their mother was like an American, and like that wasn't how she was brought up. Like those weren't her values to like, you know, sell your daughters off to the highest bidder. And like she still was kind of supporting her husband in that. Maybe it's because she got married at such a young age. Maybe she felt that's kind of like her family kind of did, right? Like, but. I don't know. And, like, she does talk in the documentary. She says she was, like, scared of Yasser. So, obviously, she, this wasn't the person that she felt that she could really argue with about that. Like, she probably realized pretty quickly that it was, like, what he wanted was going to happen. And he was just, like, control. Like, in the whole documentary, he's so controlling. Like, they got a job at a convenience store. And he would, like, videotape them at this convenience store, like, sitting in a car across the street. And they would smile at a customer. And he would say, that, why are they smiling at the customers? Like, they're in trouble for smiling at them. Like, it's so creepy i guess when you think about it she was only 15 when she got married like 15 like you're not even old enough to drive a car yet it's like you're not even mature enough to be able to drive a car and she got married to this like really controlling man so i guess it does make sense that she was very you know manipulated and was kind of accustomed to what was happening to her because it was so young right if that happens you were so young you just kind of like that's just what life is now where are you meeting somebody who's like 29 and like Double your age. I'm double your age older than you. Like, I just, I don't know, I just don't know why you're meeting these people that your family's okay with you dating somebody who's, like, a creeper. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And, like, to put it mildly, like, that's one word for him. But I don't know, and, like... A pervert? Like, that's another word. Mm -hmm. A molester? A rapist? Also other words. A fucking murderer? Like... Allegedly. It's all alleged. Alleged pervert. Like, he allegedly shot them in the taxi he was an alleged pervert yeah yeah and he was alleged he allegedly shot them even though she says in the 911 call that her dad shot her so but it's alleged uh so he actually hasn't been charged yet no he's been charged convicted i mean yeah yeah he's still awaiting awaiting sentencing Uh, it's so sad for these two girls that were like trying to break that cycle of like i don't want this to happen to me and like this is you know, almost a worse fate happened. Like, it's and it so was so sad, sad because it's like the family talks about it. It's like they, she always would say, like, if I go back home, he's going to kill me, or 
even when she was still at home, like, I know he's going to kill me. Like, it's just a matter of time. It's not so much, like, if, it's, like, I want. I wonder if, if Patricia went with them, if he would have killed her, too. Yeah, I don't know. And now she's thinking maybe she should have went. But it's also very, like, I don't know how to make a Patricia, because, like, in the documentary and all the interviews, it's, like, when she's describing, like, him having affairs on her, like, she's sobbing uncontrollably when he, she's talking about that. But when she's talking about the death of her daughters, she doesn't cry as much as she's talking about the affairs. I don't know. It's very odd behavior, I feel like. But, but then, yeah. and then she like backtracks and says like, "Oh, all the pictures that we took, like with him with a knife to my throat, like those were just for fun, like it wasn't serious." So like she's making excuses for she's him, saying he's a good father. Of him, especially yeah, yeah, like you know what I mean. Like, yeah. This is what he did. He'll probably do that to me as well. I just yeah. feel like she totally betrayed her daughters, though. She like like handed them yeah. to him. It's really sad. Like and like I guess is. like it, it, to be fair, like it is a thing. Like you know, someone who's abused, it's like that. It's a common thing that does happen. So I don't want to be like too hard on her as well. I need to recognize that. But that doesn't make it okay that like basically allowed her two daughters to be murdered so, by this man. You might ask this, but I don't understand. Like, why is it called an honor killing? Like he honored them by killing them? No, well, they, they dishonored, dishonored the family by wanting to marry like oh, Western okay. boys and not like marrying into the. Oh, okay. What is it? The Muslim faith kind of. But thing. like, but I was kind of saying earlier, like they do. There is a section of the documentary that talks about like a history of honor killings that like actually shows some pretty like gruesome videos and photos of like honor killings. So it's kind of gross, but it's like it's like yeah. it's maybe not legal, but it's accepted. It's like if you're if yeah. the women like do something that the men don't agree with, and they can get rid of them, and that's completely acceptable. Yeah, and like, but I I, I did just want to say though, like I don't know I kind of touched on this earlier but i do feel though that sometimes like it is used in the media as a way to like stereotype and like you know it's kind of like using that stereotypical like racist trope of like honor killing kind of like when we were discussing the adnan case when they were using the honor killing defense saying that was his reasoning for killing her like i feel like it's often used as that kind of like way to like racially profile or like discriminate so i don't really know if i really want to have any part any part of that conversation but like he's just a horrible person either way like yeah i mean i'm not saying like murdering is accepted i'm saying like that's probably not correct but like if they dishonor the family by not marrying who they're supposed to or they do something they're not supposed to like they can disown them from the family and that's like completely acceptable it's just like they're not part of the family anymore maybe not going so far as killing them but they can completely disown them that's and like this like might be like one a tragic like example of like or like drive. a yeah like over the line kind of along that same vein but not I don't know I just think it, depending on how the conversation I don't know sometimes the honor killing conversation is hard to like not I don't yeah know. and I don't know you enough know saying, about but, that culture or like about yeah. that at all to you know sit here and be like ooh, ooh, ooh. like I don't know enough about it so I'm not gonna mm-hmm. say that much about it but. And, like, they do have some experts in the documentary who go on and talk about honor killings, like, people who study it or, like, they know a lot about it. So maybe they're better people to talk about it. So I don't know. But I just think at the very least we can all agree that Yasser was a horrible person who killed his two daughters and raped them and allegedly and did all this horrible stuff. And at least he was captured and it has, like, a semi-happy end. But even though, like, I'm reading, like, all of the charges and, like, that they were captured, uh, Islam got 10 years for harboring fugitive, all this stuff, like... I still feel like it's not enough. Like, even if Yasser gets the death penalty, like, I don't believe in capital punishment, but you know, like, he got captured, but it's they're not going to bring them back. Like, it's still, like, still tragic for them. Yeah, I feel like he'll still stand by what he did, and he's, like, proud of what he did because they dishonored the family. So if he has to go down for that, then he's like, well, I'm just going to. Like, so I feel like it doesn't matter to him. You know what I mean? So it, I don't know. It just, it, it doesn't seem like it's enough. And it's kind of scary to think, like, Islam, he, get, he gets 10 years and he gets out and he could be just like his father. It's actually kind of creepy to think. But it's like know. Islam and his sisters grew up in America together, so, and they're only a year apart, right? Like, from him and his older sister, or his the oldest daughter, so, like, it's just weird that their views would be so separate. Or maybe they weren't, and then he just kind of had to kind of be on his father's side. Or the same thing was going to happen to him, kind of thing. Yeah. So, like, the documentary I've been referencing a lot is actually came out, like, a number of years ago, obviously, before he was captured and before all that. But there is a more recent interview with Patricia after he was captured, saying, like, she hopes that he spends his whole life in prison and all that stuff. So, like, it's been, like, a significant number of years since that documentary where she's, like, defending him. So maybe she's come around since defending then. Defending Yasser? Like, saying he hopes... Yeah. She hopes... Okay. 
or she or she's saying he hopes he spends his life in prison so like oh, she's okay. against him now like saying like you know and her son as well Islam. oh so she's against him as well yeah so yeah maybe it just took her a little bit of time to like step back and get away get out of it and be like yeah this really wasn't a good situation yeah yeah so i think like maybe that documentary now isn't like the best representation of her like current feelings but obviously at the time that it came out she would have been she maybe had different thoughts about it but it's been like 12 13 years since it happened so seems she seems to have come around at least in the most recent interviews i've seen with her but yeah it's a really sad case and it's really tragic obviously how it all ended or for the girls and it's a i don't want to say a happy ending that he got captured because like obviously it's horrible that it happened at all but at least you know he's gonna get, yeah there's gonna be justice for yeah it's not like one of those stories where it's like he's still out there and like I just find the fact that he was in Texas the whole time, like right under their nose for 12 years. The fact that he could like be 30 miles away from where it happened and like just evade capture for for 12 years. It's crazy. I know. Like he must not have been working. He must have just been like chilling around that same house the whole time and just like chilling or like freeloading like that whole time. Because how could they not, like he must not have had a job or he must have had a fake ID or an alias the whole time, right? Because there's no way... Yasin and Islam are the only two that were arrested for like helping him, but there's also like some, you know, speculation that he had his other family members helping him as well. So there is possibly more people who knew about it, knew where he was, that were also helping him evade capture. So maybe there's more arrests to come. Yeah, I also find it crazy how like brazen he was, like how he did it and where he did it. Just like mm-hmm. shot them in the back of his cab. In a parking lot, like in the middle of everything, right? Like he could have done it somewhere where nobody like would have noticed or, you know, he could have even made them disappear and no one would have found them, but he had to make it. So like, it was super obvious. So yeah, that's shows how I guess arrogant he is as well. Yeah. It's crazy. And obviously he, and he was able to escape for 12 years, which is pretty crazy. But I also want to just read this one last thing. So just in the statement, um, that the U.S. attorney had made um, following Islam, because Islam ended up pleading guilty to the charges. Um, the U.S. attorney, uh, Prirak Shah, said, Islam Saeed prioritized the whims of his father, an alleged killer, over justice for his own sisters. Thanks to the work of the FBI and its law enforcement partners, however, Mr. Saeed's efforts were ultimately in vain. Uh, we are grateful to the many agents and officers who worked to apprehend Mr. Saeed, along with his father and uncle. Sarah and Amina deserve justice. So, yeah. Did you guys have any final thoughts about this case? I just find this whole case really crazy and really, really, really sad. This guy is like the scum of the earth. and It's like, when, like, when, like I'm telling the story and when you hear it like in the documentaries, it's like it just gets progressively worse and worse and worse. Like when you think that's the worst that it gets, it just gets worse and worse. Like he just does one, no, one horrible just, thing was, after one horrible thing. I was just like looking through the documentary and there was a picture of like Islam as a kid holding like this gun in his hand like he's like not, not even a kid he's like an infant and there's a picture of him like standing there with a gun in his hand an infant there is a video too of amina like holding her father's gun and she's like shoot pointing it at him like jokingly just like kind of eerie creepy in retrospect knowing how it all turns out yeah i'm like uh, i can just like i just feel for those girls like i can just remember like you know like being a teenage girl and just be like you know, like loving life and not having to worry about any of that kind of stuff. I can't imagine having that kind of pressure and that stress and then like actually worried that your father's going to kill you. It's just like so sad. And then he actually does. It's just like, it's really hard to believe. I know. And also like so excessive too. Like when he shoots Sarah nine times, it gets so excessive and she's still able to call 911 after that. Like why her nine times and not like, I don't know. And she was the one who called 911? Yeah. Oh my god. Like, talk about the will to live. Yeah, when you listen to that, like, 911 tape, it's like she's talking and then she just, like, stops. Like, she can't even talk anymore. It's like you're right in the moment with her, like, as she's actually dying. Like, that's really scary. It's crazy. And it's so creepy in the 911 call, too. Like, you can hear the door opening. And she's saying, like, he's not done. Like, obviously, he's still there, like, while she's on the phone. Ugh, it's so scary. so crazy. But, um... Yeah. It's, like, yeah. so vivid as she's, like, talking. I can just, like, picture what's happening. And it's, like, oh, my God. I know. And it's, like, dark. And it's, like, you know, it's like, 730 at night with, like, this. Uh, it's, yeah, it's terrifying. <sighs> it's 
and like the, the sad thing is like they just like knew this was coming right and like they they said they if they went back that their father was going to kill them and like that's what happened it's just awful that they like they saw it coming I'm just like so surprised that like nobody was on their side more like you know like nobody stood up for them enough to get them out of there and like maybe it's like easy to say like maybe they don't know the full extent of what's happening at home if they're not in the same house they're not seeing them every day I know yeah it's so easy for us to be in like oh they should have done this but in the moment and when it's happening it's just so much more difficult to even know what's going on oh she like probably now that she's like stepped out of that situation she, I'm sure she has so much guilt and regret and like sadness of how things went down and how she handled it and she probably thinks she could have done things differently even though it, like it really wasn't her fault like she was so young when she got married and all this happened I can only imagine how she feels. And I do feel bad for her as well. So uh, we'll put a link to the um, documentary. Uh, it's called The Price of Honor. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And we'll put um, other relevant links and stuff in the show notes for if you want to know more about this case. Because there's probably some stuff that we didn't even cover. Because there is a lot of information on this case. But yeah, so that does it for this case if you like what you heard you can follow us on instagram at crime family podcast or on twitter at crime family pod one we do have a gmail account as well so you can send us your uh, case suggestions your feedback comments anything you want um uh, crime family podcast at gmail.com make sure you give us a review and a rating on your podcast streaming app that you use if you're able to that would be really really great and um yeah thanks for joining us and we'll be back next week with a new episode so thanks for joining us bye bye